0: Welcome to Public Power Underground, Northwest Public Power's premier weekly infotainment program that covers Northwest Public Power and Public Power adjacent news. Our series began as an awkward forced fun time for the power department 51 weeks ago when we altered our work arrangements at the start of an ongoing pandemic. It has evolved into a forum to chat with public power professionals about niche topics that are entertaining to an extremely small group of electric utility enthusiasts. And if you're listening to this, that means you. On today's show, we'll get an update on Northwest Power Markets on Aaron reports, talk to PPC's Executive Director Scott Sims about remote work and virtual meetings, get a guest lead from Clearing Up's Casey Mahaffey, and cover a few other public power and public power adjacent news topics. I'm the voice of the underground and newly promoted Economic Development Manager for Clatskanie IPUD, Brian Fawcett. Joining me, a true advocate for his employees, my former manager and the leader of the power department, Paul Dockery. Hello, Paul. Hi,
1: Brian. Congratulations. Congratulations. I just want to point out that you are now uh, joining this of your own volition. It is not being foisted upon you by the manager of your department. I just want to point that out. Does you that mean just... I'm
0: eligible for that belt that you're holding? Absolutely <laughs> not. Absolutely not.
2: Oh. but it oh, does man.
1: mean that people can choose to participate. Uh, so that's great. I really, I feel good for you. Thank you.
0: I like it. I think we're, we have a lot of interest. It seems to be that this, this is organically uh, making its way out to people in the industry as well as the community a little bit. I'm going to give a shout out to the Rainier Chamber of Commerce. Uh, and Kyle Boggs with Columbia River PUD seem pretty interested. Um, we might uh, look at him as a guest in the future. Uh, no, no promises or anything like that. But
1: I love it. I love it. Let get some neighbors on friends and neighbors. Yeah. Friends and yeah. neighbors of the
0: underground is there really a, maybe that's a good theme for us. So I was pleasantly surprised today to, to have that discussion at the chamber meeting. <laughs> yeah. All right. Also joining us is the star of Aaron Reports and co-star of Public Power Underground financial analyst Aaron Guillory. How are you doing, Aaron?
3: Oh, I'm doing great, Brian. I haven't studied a drop this week, holding it off for the weekend. Wow, <laughs> what is life beyond this one desk in a quarantine? I'm excited to explore it.
0: <laughs> Remind me how many more weeks you have uh, of studying. Is, is there exam coming up soon?
3: Oh man, well, I just took a few exams. I'll find out next Thursday. Uh, maybe we should cut that part out just in case. Ah. Uh, then, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, that's my bad. We'll I'm at the here. <laughs> I <know. laughs> uh, but I, I have, a, I've got an open book. They call it ethics exam. And then the uh, CPA experience essay. And i whew, so close. I see the finish line and I want it. I just want to be there. So oh. go for it. <laughs> Got to get those letters. Get those yeah. letters. Get those letters.
0: <laughs> OK, our uh, our other, st- uh, other co-star of Public Power Underground, the coding wizard of R and Python, our resident Genesis apprentices, a Reddit user, Banjalele Virtuoso, trained linguist, a dark age of Camelot mending pacifying healer, oh credentialed gosh. Stack Overflow contributor, and current power analyst, Ian, the Neural Network Bledsoe. Thanks for being here, again.
3: Yeah. yeah. Is that a? Did we I don't think there are any story? new titles
0: there this this week, Brian.
3: Are there? I've been listening to the podcast, and I don't remember a backstory here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, that, that's, that's No, we 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 corrected oh, the Stack Overflow title this week. That you are an actual contributor now that can upvote. Okay. That's the end of this week.
2: I I uh, I was listening to the uh, Public Power Underground After Dark today. And I heard a comment from Scott Corman that was something to do with linguistics, but then when I was looking back through, I couldn't I couldn't find it. I don't remember what he was it was.
3: Pulling but. all kinds of different stuff in that interview. Yeah, there was. It was, good. was, it was, 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 was really fire. good. Scott Corman yeah. was on fire. it was
1: great. It was well, Shawna was great. Humaira. I I
3: yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and what's the what's the song you started singing? The one about. Uh,
2: uh closing uh, time yeah closing yeah, time
0: semi sonic <laughs> yeah exactly that was a callback that was a callback <laughs> he he mentioned he kind of intimated that he didn't really like that song but I love it i know it's it's definitely oh. overplayed but and it is a one-hit wonder for sure but I uh
1: so as part of the production of that I pulled up the YouTube video of them uh in this in the in the video feed and now I have like a copyright infringement uh flag on our YouTube channel I think it's because I was like but there's no music associated with it we don't monetize anyway so it doesn't really matter but I thought it was hilarious
0: (laughs) okay we gotta keep going we gotta keep going we can't use semi-sonic as our intro music. That's kind of too bad, but we'll yeah. <laughs> look into that. So yeah. we're starting this week checking in on power market indicators in the Northwest with our first segment, Air Reports.
3: Great, great, great.
4: Okay, so sorry, Paul.
3: I always remember I have to drink some water, right, as he says that. Sorry. Okay. <clears throat> This is Aaron Reports, where we try to get up to speed on Northwest market indicators for March 11, 2021. I'm Aaron Guerrier, and I've got your market update for the week. <laughs> A for flows at the Dalles are expected to be 93% of normal, down 2% from last week. Outflow at the Dalles peaked over the past week at 170.4 KCFS on March 9th at 2100 hours. Midday elevation at Grand Coulee on March 10th was 1,273.70, down a little over a foot and a half since reported last week as outflows decreased from a peak of 145.2 KCFS on March 3rd at 0800 hours to peak outflow of 136.6 KCFS on March 11th at 0700 hours. Checking on the snow in the region using energy's aggregation of space and data The snow water equivalent for BC hydro generation basin is 124.37% of normal. For mid-sea, 107.28% and aggregating all the snow in the Columbia River Basin that'll flow through Bonneville Dam, they estimate there's 115.09% of normal snow blanket. Spot market power in the Northwest for delivery March 11th is at $36.6 with gas at 2.62 per mm MMBTU, translating to a spark spread of 1824 and a heat rate of 15 grand. In term markets, balance of the month for mid-sea has dropped two cents in the last since the last week, uh, to 2864 per megawatt hour, mid sea power for Q3 2021 is at 7515, with Sumas gas at 2.864, translating to a heat rate of 27,000. In bond markets this month, one Washington PUD issued water system revenue refunding bonds with 905,000 due between 2021 and 2031, with average interest rates of 3%. Exactly three percent and uh, yields of sixty four bips. Spending a beat at Bonneville's balancing authority peak load this pack, past week was eight thousand two hundred fifteen this morning, March eleventh at seven fifteen and seven twenty five in the a.m. We'll stick with seven fifteen during loads peak. Hydrogen was at ten thousand seven hundred fifty two. Wind gen was twenty five megawatts. Conventional units at twelve forty three and therm- and nuclear at one one five one. This week in NOAA climate forecasts, lots of variance across the board. The six to ten day outlook has temp in the region with much of the area in the normal range with others with a 33 to 40 percent chance of being below normal or precipitation is partly in the normal range with some areas with a 33 to 40 percent chance of being above and others with a 33 to 50 percent chance of being below some likelihood of normal above and below average temperature in the region uh stays in their outlook through their 90-day report and that's all we've got for this update back to you brian
4: thanks for the report
0: aaron Phew. you out of breath
3: <laughs> a little bit yeah <laughs>
0: I was at least twice as fast as the last time I was on when Ian did it.
3: <laughs> I've been practicing all but half as intelligible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say,
0: but I actually understood more of what Ian said because I could like
2: take oh, it shoot,
3: in. Oh, Shoot, is that true? No, I, I could slow down.
0: <laughs> I just, like, fan, mean
2: definitely okay. when you're going through the 30 to 40 percent above normal, 40 to 50 percent below normal. <laughs> Some areas. it's like, let me just ignore what she's saying and look at this graph in front of me.
5: <laughs>
3: Honestly, sometimes that's the best route to go, I'd say, with these outlets because it's mixed across the board. I'm reporting on a pretty general area. <laughs> uh,
0: mixed across the mostly... board is a great way to do it. Yeah. I listened to it at one and a half times, so it really <laughs> amplifies no. the speed quite a bit.
2: Also, I referred to other areas as places we don't care about, which I think really uh, helps our listeners tune in to what Oh,
3: matters. yeah. The other areas is just literally, it's still an area that I generally report on, but just areas that aren't the areas in the normal range. I completely agree, though. I'm not going to report on the areas. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Very loose this week. We're very loose. It's great. I love it. Let's go.
0: Okay. Next up is our weekly walk through Northwest Public Power and Public Power Adjacent News in a segment we like to call Public Power Desktop. Erin, I think you're up first.
3: Um, Last weekend, the Wall Street Journal issued an article reporting a cyber attack on Microsoft Corporation's exchange email software believed to to have infected tens of thousands of small businesses and state and local governments. The culprits identified as a Chinese cyber espionage group by Microsoft. The scope of the attack is still unclear. However, of note is that while the suspected Russian attack was relatively targeted, um, in this attack, hackers initially broke into email accounts installing unauthorized software before running an untargeted attack using automated software to scan the internet for vulnerable servers and infect them. Uh, Larger organizations were shielded. shielded (laughs) We're going to get through this. We're shielded either by lack of Exchange component use or mitigation of risk through virtual private networks. Microsoft provided a software patch to fix the bugs after the initial attack, and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency directed federal government agencies to immediately either patch or disconnect on-premises Exchange products. For more information, visit the Wall Street Journal.
1: So good article. It sounds like it is the smaller organizations, as you read out, the large organizations had some other mitigating factors. So it's small. And it I, I caught my attention because it is uh, like state and local governments and small government organizations.
6: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Caught me. What do we got next?
2: on february 18th aptera motors began a first round of financing and taking pre-orders on their first product to market a three-wheeled solar powered car with a 1000 mile range the car which can also be plugged into charge is designed to charge up to 40 miles of range or the equivalent of two gallons of gas just by sitting in the sun all day the entry model with 250 miles of range front wheel drives and 16 miles per day of solar charging and zero to 60 in 5.5 seconds will cost around 26000 the fully loaded model, 1,000 miles of range, all wheel drive, 40 miles, miles per day of solar charging, and zero to 60 in 3.5 seconds will cost close to $48,000. Reserve yours today for only $100 by going to www.apterra.us. I also learned that aptera is Latin for wingless flight, which sounds like magic. <laughs> kind of looks like I think
3: magic.
1: I thought these were really looking cool looking cars and the video is really cool too I would if I did not have children and need to move children I would probably be very interested in one but I have children and need to move children and it doesn't look like they have any seats for children
2: I sent the I sent the story to our operations manager Tom Bretain, and you may all be surprised to know that he wants one and probably already pre-ordered one
0: I was going to say he put $100 down.
3: <laughs> yeah, what sold him, I'm sure, was the the solar panel generation, especially think, in Oregon.
2: I think he's probably sold on any car he doesn't already have.
3: Okay.
0: I don't, I, I feel like I might be giving away too much, but it's, it's too funny to not share. I'm fairly positive he has ordered multiple Cybertrucks in different configurations so that he just makes sure he gets one first. He doesn't care which one. <laughs> He just wants to make sure he gets one first and then he's going to cancel the others, which apparently is commonplace in Cybertruck ordering. Interesting. Um,
1: That's very, very, very on brand for him.
6: Yeah. I hope he listens.
1: (laughs) We're honored to have Clearing Ops' K.C. Mahaffey reading a guest lead this week about a story on zebra mussels reaching the Northwest and balls of Beta Buddy Merino moss balls sold at pet stores written by Casey Mahaffey. Welcome to Public Power Underground, Casey. Thank you. Is <laughs> it wonderful to have you? What story do you have for us today?
5: Well, let's see. I um, last week I did a story on zebra mussels um, for clearing up that it was um, issue number 1994. Um, for anyone who might want to look that up. Um zebra mussels are just these incredibly invasive species that have not yet made it to the northwest. Um, they haven't established themselves in any of our water bodies um, and they're they're tiny, but when they multiply, which they do pretty rapidly, they totally mess up um, hydroelectric dams, irrigation pipes, fish ladders, anything that's in or near the water so um, I guess what struck me most when I, um, you know, first heard this story and when I started to work on it was that um, the four Northwest states—Oregon, Washington, Idaho, and Montana—all put this huge effort every year into stopping these tiny mussels from coming into the region. Um, they stop thousands of boats um, on the highways, well, boats that are being towed um, and inspect them and. Any of that they find, which they do find some every year um, attached to the underside of the boats or in their bilge water, um, they have to undergo decontamination. Um, so while everybody's got their eyes checking um, the undersides of vessels, um, these tiny zebra mussels snuck in by way of a fairly common aquarium product called a Marimo moss ball. Um, so it's just a little ball of moss um and and so they're contaminated um they're likely all over the northwest now and the rest of the country um sitting in people's aquariums <laughs> so what the fish and wildlife agencies in our region are asking aquarium owners to do is either boil these little moss balls or freeze them before you get rid of them so and I guess I'll just say there's a lot more information, but the reason everybody's kind of freaked out about this is um, how much it will cost our region if they become established in Washington waters, particularly the Columbia Basin, which is um, a huge part of our um, a part of the Four State region. Um, so Washington State says it'll cost 100 million annually just to control them. Um, or 500, <clears throat> excuse me, 500 million throughout the four Northwest states in British Columbia. So I assume 100 million for Oregon and all the other states. Um, and um, I guess nationwide, we already spend about 5 billion dollars just to prevent and control quagga and zebra mussels. So there's a lot more information on all of the Fish and Wildlife websites and newspapers across the region covering this, but. Um, of course, you should go to the one in Clearing Up because, well, it's the best one. So,
1: Of course, it is um, the best one. Incredible story. No. I mean, uh, I don't pay much attention to the like, zebra mussels. This isn't my niche topic. Uh, I read through this and it sounds like so impactful to the region. $500 million annually. Do you have like, a, any feel of what you're paying for with that $500 million annually? What type of things go into that cost?
5: Yeah, my understanding is that is just to clear up. So these um little creatures they like suck onto the sides of things and then multiply and so they completely clog in a year's time they'd completely clog um the like a pipe that intake pipe for irrigation. So they wouldn't get as much water unless they go and clear it out. Um and the same with like um you know just, so it's just it's just to control them basically just to scrape them off or i don't know maybe they use a chemical control i haven't really looked that deeply into how they control them, but it's they don't expect once they become established that they'll be able to um to actually um, eradicate them. they would just try to control them every year and um and so it's just a matter of like cleaning off surfaces um (laughs) so
6: and so because um, of that it
5: spans the
1: entirety of our economy so it's irrigators it's dams it's transportation in the rivers it's this whole the economy of the waterway would have to pay to control these species is that right
5: yes that's what they figure is it would it would affect electric rate payers because um you know, BPA or Chelan County PUD or whoever owns the dam would end up having to, you know, pay to remove them every year so that the the moving parts can still move, basically. And then they'd have to clear off the fish ladders. I don't know how often, but so the the salmon don't like scratch up their underbellies and um, and then or, or or the fish bypasses and um, there's just all kinds of works water works we have in the water that they would attach to. But I've also seen pictures from like the the Midwest where they've really become established where they just completely cover a beach. And so if they don't like try to go out and remove them, the the beach kind of becomes unusable unless you wear shoes. I mean, I guess some people just wear shoes now all the time. Um, But it's it's just a sad thing. They come from Ukraine, um, from the Caspian Sea area, and um, they came over to the first were established in the Great Lakes um, wow. and slowly spread across the country.
1: So, uh, so if we know people with fish tanks, we should be telling them to inspect your fish tank. If you have moss, boil the moss, freeze the moss. Don't just flush the moss down the toilet.
5: Right. Exactly. Don't just flush it down the toilet and um, yeah, freeze it or they, they're asking, some. Um, all of the fish and wildlife agencies have specific directions also for cleaning out your aquarium, um, but um, the moss ball itself may have um, these little mussels in it. And you can inspect them, and if you don't think it has any, or you can take a picture, there, there's instructions on, at least I know, the Washington Department of Fish and Wildlife's website on how to um, Um, you can take a picture and send it to an invasive species specialist to make sure, you know, to show them that it is one, or if you're in question of whether it is one, but if you want to just get rid of it, um, certainly, you know, it says to freeze it or boil it um, and then put it in a plastic bag before you put it in the trash.
3: Awesome. Uh, These
5: things can live outside of water for up to a month with no water. So it's weird. I mean, that's why they inspect boats because, the boats might have been in a mu- in in water a month ago, got some mussels on them, and then they've been sitting in your garage for months. But um, you're going to take it out to the Columbia River, and um, there it comes back alive.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, if anybody has more questions, they should read your piece. It was a great piece. Is there anything else you're working on that you want to pitch or promote?
5: Um, well, right now I'm wor- I'm working on a story about. Um, um southern resident killer whales um what kind of fish they eat the NOAA fisheries just did a a new study year round we knew they ate they prefer chinook but um they followed them around year round for for 13 years and um and basically um grabbed any pieces of food scraps that they left floating in the water or or, um picked up their poop when they could find it am i allowed to say that on the air you're absolutely (laughs) okay and um, yeah, and then also this year's salmon and steelhead returns, which are apparently dismal like for everything but coho. So that's this week's clearing up.
1: OK, we'll we'll look forward to it. Thanks for coming on. Are you willing to come back? Is this fun enough to come back and to oh, recommend I'm it to your to. colleagues?
5: Yeah, I'm happy to come back and talk to you, Paul. I appreciate that's great. it. <laughs> well, thank you
1: very much, Casey. And we will talk to you later.
5: OK, great. Have a nice one.
0: Broadband continues to be a hot topic as we navigate the pandemic. In news from the peninsula, Jefferson PUD is considering options for for providing broadband to the 70% of its customers that currently do not have broadband access. In other news, after being awarded nearly $1 billion over 10 years in FCC-RDOF funds, Starlink is under fire from its competitors. And down in Arizona, the Final Mile Project aims to solve the disadvantages to students that do not have access to broadband. For more, check out the articles from Peninsula Daily News, Tech Dirt, and the Arizona Republic.
1: And we found all of them in the Energy News Digest, which you should be subscribed to. And Public Power Underground may have also appeared on the Energy News Digest this week. Just saying, we're big stuff. So Brian, uh, are you going to be working on
0: broadband to me? Yeah. I don't think it's going to make its way over to Kalama. Um, it's not even going to help me out. But yeah, we are looking at broadband uh, in Columbia County, working with multiple partners to see if we can uh, uh, get more access to, to folks in the rural areas that, that don't really have it or have uh, really limited options for broadband. All
3: right. Uh, I think I'm next here. Morning consult fielded survey results on the pandemic's impact on American life with 89 89- eight hundred and ninety five thousand four hundred you know after Aaron reports I'm just really done reading numbers um on American the accountants Life.
1: done reading numbers <laughs> yeah,
3: I know yeah hey I bought the only app I bought for my iWatch was a calculator so that should tell you <laughs> um that has to do with math not reading numbers okay all right <laughs> Morning consult fielded survey results on the pandemic's impact on American life with 895,400 respondents in over 400 surveys. 41% said in June they're buying less premium products. On the health front, 68% of adults said they would see their uh, primary care doctor during the pandemic a shift up. Uh, since the start. 19% indicated their lives have gotten better in the pandemic, in relationships and otherwise dating enthusiasts. Good news, 71% of dating app users are logging in more often as stigma has declined. 60% of parents said their children had been spending less than three hours on a device device pre-COVID, with 70% now saying at least four uh four hours uh sports viewing is down comfort and event attendance is up and youth sport enrollment is down to find out more you can find the results at morningconsult.com
1: some great stuff the
2: staycation so the had their, their moment. about go
1: ahead they did Ian.
3: have their moments it, but it sounds like people are already considering doing staycations pro- post COVID too. Staycations were a thing before COVID.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, fifty-eight percent said they would plan one even after the virus is under control. I don't know that I'm going to plan a staycation
6: for <laughs> a long time. Yeah,
1: for a long time. Not that
0: that's like personality-driven, right? Some people probably. want that.
3: that the time thing is,
0: to be charged. Yeah. I am a
1: homebody. This is. <laughs> This is exactly like that. Staycations were a thing I loved. Even after all of this, though, I, I, oh my even gosh, my personality is no, no, yeah, I'm going. All
3: of my friends that are introverts were like, I've been planning for this day, here it comes. And now they're trying to lock me down for like social distancing events in like April. <laughs> like, <laughs> we need to start doing something social. <laughs>
2: The Portland Business Journal reported that Brookfield Renewable Partners is poised to buy the Shepherd's Flat Project, an 845 megawatt wind farm in Morrow and Gilliam Counties in Oregon, pending FERC approval of the $700 million deal. The project accounts for more than 20% of Oregon's wind capacity. Brookfield says the prospect of increasing generation by approximately 25% by adding longer and lighter turbine blades made the deal especially attractive.
3: Um, Hope is the theme of the spring. With with vaccines being released, there's light at the end of the tunnel, which has led many companies across the U.S. that abruptly shifted to remote work a year ago to begin considering what transitioning to a post-pandemic dynamic will mean for their workspace. To discuss trends in Northwest public power, we invited PPC's Executive Director, Scott Sims, to sit down with us and talk about how his organization and membership transitioned to remote work a year ago, and what he's hearing about office dynamics in the future.
6: Hi, Scott. Welcome to Public Power Underground. Hey, thanks, Paul. really appreciate the invite. I've been watching this and kind of like watching lots of these podcasts and getting excited, like thinking uh, just all the things you're covering. This is amazing. And uh, it's exciting to see it spreading across the Northwest. And you get into the all, all sorts of uh, facets that are directly in the utility business and a few that are not, which is awesome. That's great. Yep.
1: Yep. uh, uh, Public power and adjacent. And you tell you what, PPC staff has been well represented on the underground and it has been great. And I love
6: it. Well, and they, and they love it too. I mean, frankly, you've, you've seen Karen Heim on here. She does a great job as a co-host. And of course, all of our staff being being guests, we appreciate it. And uh, yeah, a lot of energy there and people come back saying that was super fun. So good. That's uh, what we're hoping for. Good rave reviews. Yeah, that's yeah. what we're
1: hoping for hoping to make this fun, too. Um, and quick. No, I try to make these also fairly quick. It's like really only a 15 minute time commitment. So sure. I'm not going to take too much of your time, right? Because no problem. This, there is a pandemic. We're working remotely. You're at home yeah. with a beautiful clock and a, a picture <laughs> I can see a quarter of um, right, right, there you go. a little
6: bit more. You guys, yeah, little, there you go.
1: Yeah, love you know, yeah. it. Um, <laughs> we've all gone through these like drastic changes in our work. And we, there's some like light at the end of the tunnel with vaccines rolling out. And you, as I was thinking about it, PPC is at this weird or great nexus. And you specifically, you lead a team of professionals. You serve a member organization that is diverse and broad. How, and you guys pulled off at the start of the pandemic, a virtual executive committee meeting. Yeah. Like how, how, what, how are you thinking about it? What's the experience been like? Like, well, this sure. is. This is, I think you are one of the like experts on this nexus of topics. I,
6: I think we're all experts just in terms of us just being thrown in this, right? We're all, we're all living through this together. Uh, yeah. yeah, we were definitely thrown in the deep end like many others last year. And we, you know, we typically see, you know, a couple hundred people showing up every month uh, in Portland. For executive committee meetings, which is a tremendous amount of commitment of time. If you think about it, if you really start yeah. breaking down, especially you know some of the the further flung individuals and members, the time commitment it takes for them to wrap things up in their office, jump on a plane, sometimes two planes, uh, overnight stay, come to come to Portland, do the meeting, and then get home. It, that there's a lot of uh, a lot of person hours there, right? And you've got a lot of Absolutely. folks. Uh, We're holding holding down uh, the fort back home. Um, And so, yeah, we were uh, definitely on pins and needles when we transitioned over to an all uh, virtual and we started with phone calls. We started with a a professional organization that could actually sort of get everybody into a room together in a secure manner because our our meetings are uh, member only meetings and uh, and to run that call. Um, it, was, it was a good experience, but more and more we heard members saying, hey, we're doing a lot of Zoom calls and GoTo and all these other things. We'd love to be able to see everybody. And so we did eventually transition to Zoom, and we did appreciate folks um, bearing with us as we kind of went in baby steps along the way. With that many people on a platform, you know, a few hundred folks, you just want to make sure you do it right. Uh, because there's, you know, deliberative discussions, there's pretty sensitive discussions going on. You want to make sure that you've got the right place and the right venue.
1: Absolutely. And, yeah. and there is like, and I think part of all of us learning to work remotely is learning how to have good conversations remotely, yes. right? And your executive committee meetings, it, they're really deliberative, as you put it. And to kind of form a, a virtual format for that, it's worked, um, but it's also, I assume, been iterative, and you're back, you know, figuring it out behind the scenes.
6: Yeah. Well, a long, long time ago, I was actually a radio reporter. So it was kind of fun in the beginning to do the, uh, to do this um, you know, with, with just the audio portion. And luckily, when we were launching this, our chair of the of PDC at the time was Deborah Smith from Seattle City Light. And she had her iPad sitting there um, on FaceTime, and I had mine on FaceTime, and they're both muted. So we wouldn't have any crosstalk issues. But we could at least as her being the chairwoman and, and me, uh, executive director, kind of going through the agenda, we could at least look at each other on those calls, and it right. ended up being a crucial connecting point. Just that little bit of of connection really helps things out. And of course, then once you're, yeah, once you're in a Zoom platform or or that kind of place, you can see each other. Uh, it's you know it's definitely helped out. But trial and error across the across the the. Uh, Northwest, and it's actually that's been fascinating. Was um, I think as the months have progressed, folks sharing their stories of their workplaces and how they're evolving and where they think they might be going in the future as well.
1: Yeah, so that's the other area. So you serve these broad membership, and I, I assume you hear a lot about how they're thinking about transitioning back, about changing workforce, changing environment. Can you share anything about what you're hearing? And oh, absolutely, the rest
6: of us could could learn. It's fascinating. It's kind of become a, a fun side junket just to learn about different people's, you know, cultural atmospheres at, at uh, utilities. And so our members, you know, are uh, basically run, run across the gamut of the states of Washington, Idaho, Oregon, Montana, and both rural and urban communities, uh, large and small. And so, and of course, their workplace cultures are all just very, you know, very different and, and unique. So we've got some folks who are like, as soon as the pandemic So over it's back to regular business. Now what I've heard from uh, the, the, there's a couple of different folks out there that are watching this. There's the the McKinsey folks, there's Forrester research. Forrester says that uh, the back to work crowd will represent about 30% of the companies. And then uh, folks are going to completely transition and just stay at home are about 10% of the organizations out there. And then the remaining 60% will be in some sort of hybrid form. Now, I think, frankly, the way that you know, our business is carried out by our members, right? The utility industry, you can't be completely from home because right. we have physical infrastructure. We you know there, there are dams, there are power lines, there are distribution uh feeders there's all sorts of infrastructure out there there are folks who need to be at the front lines uh, the customer service centers those kind of things so i think we'll always have some kind of a presence but it's been interesting to hear folks say things like um they might be taking some of their customer service folks who are you know pretty much just on the phone or the computer and allowing them to be a hundred percent um telework which is, is if you think about it from a cost standpoint you know suddenly you don't have to have the office space for that you don't have, to have um, you know, a whole, whole host of things for infrastructure and support. Uh, and it can be a recruiting tool. I mean, heck, you know, you could think about somebody being uh, in a different community next to the community that's actually where the utility is, and, and they don't have to be right there in the service territory. So there's some opportunities that are pretty neat that are coming about too.
5: Uh, others
6: I think, have also said, you know, they, they struggle about what do you do about the workplace? So, you know, do you, in a hybrid standpoint, do you still offer an office and you also are supporting them at home? You know, that makes it difficult from a cost standpoint. We're only seven people at PPC, so we yeah. serve five states. makes it easier for us you know, in terms of how we're going to do things. We were actually talking about doing more telecommuting uh, pre-pandemic, uh, and then, of course, the pandemic happened, and we've all been teleworking since, but it certainly has caused us to really think about what we're going to look like uh, going, going back to work.
1: Yeah. And you kind of tickled my brain there with the idea of the customer service reps having some ability to work from home. Is there a, a, like an angle there around uh, like crisis response? Like, so say there's an outage, you have people that aren't, don't have to come into your office. They're already connected. They have the phones to be able to field calls. Is there, is there something there about like response time and customer satisfaction?
6: Yeah, well, there's yeah, I think so. There was actually one uh, a case study that was that was shared with me. That I thought was kind of a fascinating one, a, a way of thinking about a future scenario. So imagine, let's just say we will call a utility Acme Utility, okay? They'll be fixed. You pick the state. You pick the state, Paul. Which Montana, I love Montana. Okay, let's okay. Acme Montana. Montana. Okay, so Acme Utility is going to be in Montana, and uh, all the customer service folks have gone um, have gone to telecommute status, right? And let's say there's somebody who's been working at Acme's accounting department for 20 years. They know everybody in the company. They're kind of ready for retirement, but they don't quite want to leave yet. Um, you know, the the person was saying to me, you know, this person could this this person could transition over to the customer service department. They know all the people. They know the business. Uh, They could go to down to say 20 hours a week and they could live in a different state and be serving uh, that Montana constituency. Right. So the power goes out in Montana, this person, if they're in another state, potentially, hopefully their, their power is still back on. Right. And so they're able to have a seamless transition there of helping the customer. And the great thing is the way to look at that is, you trace it all the way through. It's a better experience for the customer, right? Ultimately, the customer in that scenario wins because they get a seamless transition to uh, somebody that's available to them. It's somebody who's very knowledgeable, right? They've worked at the company a long time. And, and so it becomes kind of a, a tool to say, hey, we want to hang on to this resource before they retire. Those are the kinds of creative uh, solutions that I think are becoming about uh, post-pandemic that would be pretty exciting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there's a lot, I think you're framing it in the right way too, which is how does this help our membership and our customers right. um, and how can we provide better service to our customers? And, you know, maybe we've all had this massive, it's a massive experiment, right? Of remote, yep. le- remote well, work. I said remote learning because I have kids upstairs doing remote learning right now. <laughs> yeah. um, we've had this experiment and maybe like it changes our world and maybe it changes our world for the benefit
6: of our customers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that we, for sure, there's gonna be challenges, there always are, but it's also a new frontier, a totally different way of doing things. And Folks have talked about, could they be reducing their overall uh, company or organizational uh, carbon footprint by having more people uh, telecommuting, right? Um, Yeah. And certainly, you know, they've talked about, you know, more parents now are sharing, you know, more uh, equally or at least they're being more informed about all the chores that sometimes happen around a home. So there's a lot of things that will be, I think, paying dividends that way for sure for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you can hear
1: my kids screaming in the background or not, but it is the perfect background noise for this conversation. Um, thank you very much for for joining. I think we've, we've kind of uh,
6: made our time. It's been a great conversation. I hope you're willing to come back. I'd love to come back. I'd love to be invited to talk about anything, Brad, whether it be in the utility business or uh, otherwise. I think you guys are doing a fantastic job and uh, it's really great what you guys have done. This has been essentially, this platform, your show has been an outgrowth of uh, a pandemic uh, world experience. So, absolutely. No, there was no chance I would have been involved in this had it not been for
1: a pandemic. Mm -hmm. Uh, This, our adoption of Zoom, which enables a lot of this, we would have have, never had the subscription. So, um, yeah, it's a a brave new world. So, thank you for being a friend of the underground and thanks for coming on. I was honored. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you. Where are we going next? We're almost to the end, aren't In we? What,
2: no, just yeah. a second. And what is me, likely the m- you most start exciting?
0: News-
2: start yep. over.
1: Yep. Start. Yep.
2: Now we're good. And what is
0: likely? Good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Hey, now start over.
5: And what? Okay. Definitely.
0: And what is likely the most exciting news coming out of DC for a certain podcast publisher? The U.S. Senate is weighing the pros and cons of permanent daylight saving time. For more, head over to the Sacramento Bee or check out the special episode of Public Power Underground After Dark from last week.
1: I, I don't. We're just. We're just gonna. We're just gonna do it in this really crappy. It's just gonna be like this. this is what we're doing. It's gonna happen.
3: Public Power Underground After Dark.
1: Y'all couldn't enjoy that. I enjoyed it though. So we're moving on. (laughs) (laughs) None of that came through.
3: (laughs) She got the move in though.
1: We're excited to have PPC's director of market policy and grid strategy on to do a guest lead about PPC's special meeting series with BPA on potential resource adequacy program participation. Lauren, welcome back to Public Power Underground.
4: Thanks Paul, it's great to be back.
1: It's great to have you back. Uh, What do you got for us today?
4: So uh, we've been having a lot of discussions about, and it's been a big buzzword recently, resource adequacy. I know a lot of folks are participating in the discussion as uh, that program gets designed by the Northwest Power Pool. Um, And Public Power has been engaging both in the design of that program, um, which there's a lot of outstanding questions. How's that all gonna come together? What does that program look like? Uh, But there's also a lot of uh, questions, uh, particularly for PPC members about how Bonneville might participate in that program and then how that participation would impact and flow through to all of the preference customers. So we've been having discussions with um, between public power and BPA um, regularly working through that uh, and, and the questions that we're working through are really essential to address before BPA decides whether it would participate. Uh, in that regional program and what that participation looks like. So our latest discussions have explored how impacts to the uh, customers might be different based on what their power products are. Um, And we're also talking through what BPA's upcoming decision process will look like once it's ready to launch one of those uh, looking at its participation in the RA program
1: so follow up lauren i've found these conversations really valuable um are these monthly meetings when should we expect like the next iteration for these conversations to occur
4: yeah i think we're we're striving to meet about on a monthly basis and you know we appreciate bpa staff has come and they're having uh they're not quite informal discussions but they're definitely developmental discussions Maybe that's you know, we're, we're exploring ideas. And so it's a little bit ad hoc as far as when things are ready to be discussed. There's a lot of internal work that they're doing. Um, uh, but I would expect as we go forward, it's probably gonna look a little bit more like it's on a monthly basis. And if folks haven't been involved in those discussions and you'd like to be, yeah, please let me know. Um, we're really trying to get uh, pretty broad participation amongst public power. Um, yeah, PPC has been hosting those for I think we had our our first kickoff meeting last fall sometime. So they've definitely been ongoing.
1: Yep. So thank you again. It's been, that conversation was great. Having you on is also great. So thank you.
0: And please come back.
4: All right. Will do, Paul.
0: Thank
1: you. Thanks
4: for coming on again.
0: Okay. That's all the news. We're covering this send us any news, jobs, questions, opinions, or corrections to Paul on Twitter, at a power manager, or if you're a friend of the underground, send any of us a note. Any corrections from last week, Paul? So uh,
1: glad you mentioned it. Glad you brought up public power underground after dark. In that episode, I had an awkward reference to Northern latitudes uh, as countries in the more Northern hemisphere, which is Incredibly weird and awkward. He uh Scott Korb corrected me that it's latitudes, and apparently there's a Jimmy Buffett song about that. Um so it was awkward. Feel like I should correct the record and really call out my uh poor off the cuff handling. There was also a point in there that I missed entirely where I let Scott uh, a joke by Scott Corwin Pass, where he was talking about all the spam messages he will get, um, after, uh, signing up for public power underground. And I just mad respect. Great joke. Uh, I do spam people with uh, public power underground content. That's what you get for being a friend of the underground. That's what you get for being a friend with me. Great joke. Glad you did it. I wasn't fast enough with my wit.
2: I've got a quick correction after Googling how to pronounce that county name in the gorge. Apparently, it is Gillum County. The I is apparently silent. So apologies to the folks of Gillum County.
0: Uh, Live corrections. That's what we get from you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for correcting the record, Paul and (laughs) Ian. We'll be back next week to talk about public power. Public power. Do you have something to correct as well?
3: Yeah, what what was that? Correcting the record for her interruptions today. Okay. My correction.
0: So uh, we'll be back next week. So uh, to make sure you don't miss an episode, you can sign up for an unintrusive newsletter with links to all the ways to consume this fascinating content on Substack at publicpowerunderground.substack.com. Otherwise, you can subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcast, or your favorite podcast app. That's all for this week. Thanks for tuning in. The presenting sponsor of Public Power Underground is PlugPass. PlugPass
1: is an electric vehicle charging program designed by and for commuters. Why pay for faster charging than you need? Why pay for an extension cord when you have your own? why pay for a payment kiosk when you can just pay your electric utility with plug pass we can save the electric utility and the commuter money to learn more contact your friends at klatskin ipud or public power underground plug pass it's open source plug pass it's just an outlet Public Power Underground is a pandemic diversion for entertainment purposes. It's written, edited, and produced by the Power Department. The views here expressed here are our own and not the official views of Klatskin IPUD, nor of any person or organization affiliated to do business with, with Klatskin IPUD, nor the organization of the guests also appearing on Public Power Underground. Neither Klatskin IPUD nor those appearing on Public Power Underground generate a revenue from the episodes. Make Lauren, Casey, and Scott feel better about their participation in this week's episode by sending them a note, text, or email with a thumbs up and telling them how much you enjoyed it. Do it for us, do it for them, and do it to make other people feel valued and appreciated. Public Power Underground for electric utility enthusiasts. Public Power Underground, it's worth to watch.